want to talk to you from the subject, overcome evil with good. All right, you want to take your Bible and turn to Romans 12. I'll be there in just a moment. i got a couple more scriptures I'll throw in between before we get there. But this is going to be where we're going to spend the lion's share of our time today. Overcome evil with good. You know, our country needs us. Our communities need us. Our children and generations to come need us as the followers of Jesus to show the world the reality of the kingdom of God. People need to see that Jesus is king. Now, see, we walk by faith and not by sight as believers, but unbelievers, they walk by sight and not by faith. So God gives us a mandate in the scriptures to give them a faith that they not only can hear and think about, but give them a faith that they literally can see working out of our lives so that they can really see that Jesus is the way, Jesus is the truth, and Jesus is the life. Now, Jesus said it like this in Matthew chapter 5. He said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So there's, there's a connection here that they can see us doing good things for the right reasons, and it translates in, there's something godly about that. There's something otherworldly about that. There's something so different about that group of people or about that person who's doing good and loving me even in spite of me sometimes that they see that goodness and they say that that only can come from God. See, that's a partnership that we've been called into, that they can see our good works and glorify the Father. All right? Now, truthfully, many of us have failed miserably in this task. I, I know I have. And sometimes instead of seeing the goodness of God, they've seen the worst of us. So, Lord, forgive us for that. Forgive us and, and extend your grace and your mercy to help us to live the life that we're called to live as believers. And it's a glorious life. It's a life built on high purpose. You know what? Everything I'm talking about right here, the stakes are extremely high. You realize that? As we continue to fight for the souls of our children, we continue to fight for the souls of the men and women in this country, the stakes are extremely high for you and I to show forth those good works. God puts a lot of responsibility and weight on our shoulders. He's got a lot of confidence in us too, evidently. Hmm. Now Jesus has left us with a mission. You could say he's left us with an assignment. He's left us with a strategy. You, you could even say in a sports kind of way, Jesus has left us with a game plan. Okay? He, he said this in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Got it right there on the screen. This is just right before he ascends into heaven. Jesus came and spoke to them, verse number 18. He came and spoke to them saying that all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now see, faith really starts right there. It starts realizing who Jesus really is, that he is the, the rightful king of this earth. He is the king of heaven. He is the king of this earth. And all authority has been given to him. And now he deputizes all those who follow him, if we can use that language. He says, I want you now to, to live in this authority that I have. And I want you, in verse number 19, to go and make disciples of all the nations. See, this is a part of our strategy. This is part of our mission and assignment. I want you to go and make disciples. I like it like this. I like, I like the, the translation that would say, as you go, make disciples. Because so many times we think about going means going to Europe, a European country, or African bush, or somewhere crazy that you know, mean, mean you never had any desire to go. 
Now thank God for missionaries who feel the call and go to those places like Zimbabwe and Tanzania and all those kind of places and, and France and Spain and all, all those places that are far off and, and that have really sunk into darkness. Thank God for those missionaries. But what if it looked at you and said this, as you go to your work, as you go to your place of employment, as you go to your place of playing, as you go to Walmart, and Lord knows that's a mission field. <laughs> it's a battlefield too, I think. As you go to wherever you go in your life, you go and you make disciples of all the different kinds of people that are around. Now, here's what I want to bring your attention to. He says, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, this idea of baptizing them in the, in the name of the Father, I, I think it has a lot more to do than with dunking people in water, as you say, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Not a bad thing. That's a wonderful thing. I've, I've done it, thank God, to, to many people. But I don't think that's the essence of what Jesus is saying. That's part of it, but I don't think that's the essence. Try this on for size. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. To baptize means to immerse, right? If we were to baptize you in water, that means that we immerse you in water. We let you go under, and then in a couple minutes, we'll bring you back up, right? You heard the saying about the preacher who baptized that guy? He, he said, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to baptize you. I'm going to hold you under so that the, first thing, the next thing you see is Jesus. You know, get, just hold him under just long enough, you know. And the other guy who got baptized, and the preacher said, hey, when you go underwater, everything you go, that goes underwater with you belongs to Jesus. So he said, okay. So the preacher went to go baptize him. He stuck his wallet right up out of the water. <laughs> Come on. That's bad, ain't it? <laughs> The idea of baptizing is to immerse. Now, he says to immerse them in the name. Now, in the Bible, the, the idea of name has to do with nature or character. So we, we literally immerse people into the character and nature of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Try this on for size now. We immerse them into the reality of the kingdom of God. That's really how people are saved, actually. Because the water, without the change and without the transformation, the water is not that beneficial to us. Not spiritually speaking. But if they're baptized into the nature and the character of God and understand how good he is and how much he loves them and how much he wants to bless and pour out his goodness upon them. As they're baptized and immersed into the very nature of God, it brings transformation into a human life. So as you go, make disciples and immerse them into the reality of God himself. Oh, that's an interesting idea. And how do we do that? Well, he begins to, he's breaking down the game plan. You go and teach them. Teach them to observe all things I've commanded you. So you teach them. You, you introduce people to these kingdom ideas. Like forgiveness is a huge kingdom idea. Not just our forgiveness from God, but our forgiveness towards one another that helps heal and restore our relationship. See, that's a kingdom idea. To go around and be a blessing. See, that's a kingdom idea. Instead of cursing people, to go around and be a blessing. That's a kingdom idea. So you go and introduce them and teach them these kingdom ideas. And not only teach them in a, in a cognitive way, but teach them to do it. To observe and to do all the things I've commanded. So, so teach them and train the people to do it. Train them by your example. Train them by repetition. Train them by patience. Train them by love. You name it. You train them. Teach them. Now, we know how this may apply to our, our, our children, but, and certainly that's important. 
Huge, hugely important. But it's also important to our people around us. We teach them these new ideas, these new kingdom things. And Jesus said, and I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's our mission. All right. So we must immerse or saturate or baptize our families, our friends, our communities, our cities, our nation into the reality of God, of his love, and teach them the way of Jesus. That's just another way to say that. Does that make sense to you? Everybody, everybody cool with that? All right. Everybody good? We're good? So we're immersing them into a whole new reality. That's really what church family is about in a community. It's, it's kind of a kingdom outpost to where people can see a whole different way of living, a whole different way of life among believers. All right? Now here's the big question. How? This is what's going to take us right into Romans chapter 12 now. How can we do this? And not only how, but how can we do this on a daily basis, on a consistent basis, so that people can literally see? Because see what God wants us, he said, let your light shine. Now what kind of light would you be? Okay, If, if your light's just shining, what kind of light would you be? You know, a lot, a lot of people are like flash bulbs. You ever had somebody just walk up to you back in the old day? Well, I guess a phone still flashed a little bit. Anybody in the, back in the old days, we used to have these little flashes on the top of a camera. Remember that kind of thing? And you don't have to get film, but you'd have to make sure you had flashes. And you only had like 10 or 12 flashes in one bulb. Remember that kind of thing? And if somebody ever came up here, especially in those days, or if you had a professional photographer do it today, somebody come up to you and, and they just flash it, take a picture of you and flash it, what does that do to you? It, it, it kind of blinds you. It kind of shocks your system, doesn't it? And, and unfortunately, that's the way a lot of Christians live. They, they, just, uh, they, they just walk up to people and say things like, Hey, Jesus is coming. Oh, okay. What, what are you talking about? And hey, that's not a bad message. That's the truth. But how you present it all depends on whether you're a flash bulb or a light that's consistent to show the way. You know what I'm talking about? Let me ask you this. When you're walking a dark trail, do you want a flash bulb or you want a flashlight? Why? Well, because one, one light is constant, isn't it? That's what we're talking about. How can we be constant in this light rather than just being these flashes in the pan, so to speak, that literally, they may have some value, but it's really not what Jesus is talking about. You know what I'm saying? All right. Now, let's see what Romans 12 says. How can we do this on a consistent daily basis? Now, to catch us up, Romans 12 is kind of a, 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 a breaking point in the book of Romans. Romans 1 through 11 is, is kind of theology. If we can say it like that, it's kind of theology to where it's talking about Jesus, it's talking about the Christian faith and everything that Jesus has done for us and provided for us. And just for the record, Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8, that's like some of my favorite part of the Bible. It's dense, it's, it's rich, it's full. If I was trapped on the, on the sea and I could only have four chapters of, of the Bible, I would take Romans 5 through 8. That's what I take. That's how important it is to me. Now, at the Romans 12 point comes kind of the practical idea of what it means to be a Christian. Okay, so now we have the, the theological part in the first part, and now we're beginning to see how this transforms our lives and how we are to live this out. So this is instructions on how to live in the Spirit. All right? Now, in verses 9 through 21 of Romans chapter 12, I counted out, depending on how you split them up, I counted out 26 things that believers in Jesus can do to make a difference in their world. Okay, 26. 
So I take it, if I take 10 minutes per each one, uh, that would be 260. That's four hours. We'll be here. Y'all good? <laughs> Some of y'all not, you better get out while you can. Now, most of them don't need a whole lot of teaching. They're pretty much, you just read across it. Oh, yes, I get that. It's, most of it's pretty self-explanatory. It's really, really practical. Now, what I want to do is start in verse number 20, and then I'm going to flip back to verse number 9. Let's go to verse 20. 20 and 21 of Romans chapter 12. It's the very end of the chapter right there, okay? The Apostle Paul says this. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Hey, pick it up with me. Read it with me. Can you read that with me? If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Read verse 21 one more time with me. Can you say it with me? Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, we talked about the mission. Now, this is some of the game plan that he begins to give us right here about what to do to see his kingdom come and to do it on a consistent basis, all right? Kingdom truth. Two kingdom truths right here I want you to see out of these two verses. Number one, that good overcomes evil. Say it with me. Good overcomes evil. That's a real big principle of our Christian faith. The cross proves that, that good overcomes evil. And again, that verse says, don't be overcome by the evil, but overcome the evil with good. So there's going to be an overcoming. And if you're going to, come, uh, if you're going to overcome, you're going to have to come over something. That means it's not going to necessarily be easy. It's going to be a challenge. It's, it's going to have to be something that's conquered. It's going to have to be something that's won, something that you're going to have to become victorious. That means there's going to be a battle in this process. You see that? Let me ask you this. Let me ask you. If you fight hate with hate, what happens to the hate? It grows, doesn't it? If you fight anger with anger, if you've ever been really tied up with somebody in an angry fight, and a lot of strife, if you fight anger with anger, what happens to the anger? It grows. It intensifies, doesn't it? It escalates. But what if you fight hate with love? That's a different dynamic now. And that's a very difficult thing to do now. I'm not, I didn't say these things are easy, but it is simple. It's just not easy. If you fight hate with love, love wins. It may take a while. It's going to be a battle. It's going to be a fight. But you've got to fight right if you're going to win this fight. And us as believers, we've got to realize, are we going to be part of the problem or are we going to be part of the solution? And if we fight with the warfare of flesh and blood like Scripture teaches us not to do, if we fight the wrong kind of fight, it's just going to make the fight worse. If we fight what Paul would say, the good fight of faith, then that's a whole different dynamic in the world, into your world. Do you have the faith to believe that good triumphs over evil. And that's kind of hard when you see a bunch of bad stuff going on in your life. It's kind of hard when you see a bunch of bad stuff going on in our nation. It's kind of hard to believe that, but that's, a, that's an anchor point of our faith that we believe that good triumphs over evil. Let me say it another way. I know you, you get this. We believe that God triumphs over evil. We believe that He has in the cross. We believe that He will through his, through his followers. 
Jesus crushed the head of the serpent on the cross. But you know what else it says about that? That God will soon crush Satan under your feet, us as believers. Perhaps this idea, if we were to rewind all the way back to the first verse of chapter 12, it's that verse that talks about the renewing of the mind, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Perhaps this is some of what Paul had in mind, that we, and, and believe me, he's talking to a people who are under serious persecution and oppression. Rome is strong. The Roman Empire is strong. Caesar is strong and powerful. And his emblem of life and death is the cross. You realize that? Because if you cross Caesar, he hangs you on a cross. Isn't it interesting how God took that image and redeemed it for his kingdom? Isn't that interesting? And perhaps Paul is, is saying this is part of the renewal of our mind for us to really realize that the good that we do in our life overcomes the evil that surrounds us. It's important. You know, Hollywood kind of believes that. Not biblically speaking, but the best movies that you and I watch are good triumphing over evil. Superman beating Batman. You know what I'm talking about? Just make <laughs> We used to go back and forth on that kind of deal. Somebody wanted to be Batman. I say he's mechanical. Superman, he's the bomb. When you can fly, get back with me. <laughs> anyway. But Hollywood believes that. What would happen if you went to a movie and it didn't have any resolution to it and evil won? What happens when you walk out of that movie? There's something not right about that, is it? So uh, all, almost all the plots in Hollywood, all the things that they do is that good triumphs over evil. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Kingdom truth number one, good overcomes evil. Kingdom truth number two, learn to heat coals of fire. And we just read that statement. It's actually a picture right here. I want you to hear this. He says, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, in doing good to your enemy, you will heat coals of fire on his head. Now that's a picture, isn't it? You got a picture in your head? I bet you do. I bet it's kind of comical, isn't it? <laughs> what in the world does he mean by this? Heaping coals of fire. We've got to learn to heap coals of fire. What does he mean by that? Now, is this text saying this? Look at this guy, this picture. Is this text saying that? You just set somebody on fire? Is it, is it saying that our kindness will set them on fire or engulf them in burning flames? Is it saying that? Ah. I don't know, is, is, our, is our goodness going to cause them to burn with guilt? Or maybe we say it like this, kill them with kindness. Well, I don't think God wants us to kill them at all. <laughs> but I really don't, I mean, that's kind of what I, when I read that, I kind of think like that. I kind of say, well, Lord, I'm, I'm just going, I'm going to do good and it's going to burn them up. You ever thought that way? You don't have to raise your hand, but we've probably been taught that way. Let me, let me give you this idea, coals of fire. It's important to let Scripture interpret Scripture right here, okay? The phrase coals of fire is found in the Bible nine times, okay? So now this is, this is not a, a new, new idea, okay? In fact, that's actually a, a direct quote from Proverbs 25, okay? What does it mean, coals of fire? Coals of fire almost always refer to God's altar 
or God's presence. You remember, you remember we got a story with uh, Isaiah. Remember that in Isaiah chapter 6 where Isaiah is standing before God in his throne room. Remember that? The train fills the temple and he stands before God and he, he fills his sin and, and the angel comes from the altar of God and what does he grab? Remember what he grabs? He grabs a coal from the altar of God and where does he put it on Isaiah? He puts it on his lips to purge him. Okay? We've got a picture of a coal of fire right there in Isaiah 6 story. So it refers to God's altar, God's presence, and it references the lightnings that proceed from him. Lightnings, like, like light, like flashes of light. Don't, don't we see Jesus somewhere doing that? You remember Jesus on the mountain of transfiguration? What, what does it say? It, it, it says that he was standing there with Peter, James, and John. Remember that? On the mountain of transfiguration? He's standing there with them, and Jesus all of a sudden starts having a conversation with Moses and Elijah. That's wild. They've been dead a long time. It's wild. I hope you read your Bible and you don't just become, oh, he's having a conversation with Moses. I hope you read your Bible and say, what? That is weird. You need to be shocked by it. It's got a lot of supernatural things in there that will absolutely shock, shock your senses. It's meant to. He's having a conversation. Then it says that Jesus radiated, literally in the, in the Greek it says that lightning light began to shoot forth from him. Peter and James and John, are just they, all they do is they fall on their face. You can imagine if somebody just started glowing in front of you, if somebody just, light just started shooting. <laughs> we, we got to do something about this. I mean, I don't, you don't, I don't know what you would do, you know. But this, this is lightning. It's, it's the light of God coming from him. So coals of fire refers to all of that. Now let's, let's deduct it to this. Coals of fire equals God's presence. Can you say that with me? Coals of fire equals God's presence. More like, like his manifest presence. Not like he's always with us generally, but like, no, he's here. You talking about what I'm talking about? So fire often symbolically speaks of God's presence and power. You got Moses at the burning bush. That was God himself coming to Moses, wasn't it? You got the dedication of the temple by Solomon. Boom, fire falls from heaven to show that God is here. His presence is there in the holy place, in the most holy place. Then in Acts chapter 2, we've got this fire thing again that happens to the 120 believers that are there gathered on the day of Pentecost. The fire of God falls upon each one individually. And it says little cloven tongues like fire fell upon each one of them. What in the world is that? Fire equals God's presence, Right? So in the Old Testament, where did the fire of God live? Where did it reside? You remember? Where did it live? Well, we, we know it lived in the tabernacle, and we also know it lived in the temple. That's where God's fire was. So we could say God's fire lived in God's temple. Question, who is God's temple today? Paul would shout out to all of us as New Testament believers he wrote it first to Corinth, but he'd say to all, don't you know that you, you as a follower of Jesus, are the temple of the Holy Spirit? That the fire of God literally lives inside of you if you're a follower of Jesus. I don't know what you've done with that fire. I don't know if you keep it stoked. I don't know if you keep it stirred up. I don't know if you let it smolder out a little bit. But if you are a follower of Jesus, the fire of God is in you. Hmm. Coals of fire. So now, he says, learn to heap coals of fire. So if you're good to your enemies 
it heaps coals of fire upon their heads. Now, let me, let me submit this to you. If you are good to people, let's say it like this. It heaps the presence of God upon them. You hear what he's saying? It's a picture. So what does it mean to heap? You got a pile of rocks, you're cleaning out a garden maybe, you got a pile of rocks and you heap up rocks. What does that mean? What does that mean? You pile them up. So what it, if you are going to heap goodness on somebody, what does that mean? You keep piling up the love. You keep piling up the kindness. You keep piling up the patience. You keep piling up the care. You keep piling up the concern. You pile up the good. You keep piling it up. And you keep piling it up. Keep, it is not one and done in this kingdom at all. You keep piling it up. What if you got a marriage that you need to heal? You need to pile it up. You got a relationship that needs to be healed. Learn to heat those coals of fire. Bring the presence of God in. All right. Now, this is what I want to do. Lance, can you come help me out, please, sir? All right, this is what I got for you. I got your Christmas present right here. Why don't you pass that out to everybody? One, one piece to everybody. It'll be fine. I got you a lump of coal. Now, if this was Christmas, it'd be, it'd be an insult, but it's something else, all right? This is what I, I want you to keep this with you, okay? Lance is going to go. I'm going to keep talking. Lance, go ahead and do your thing. I want you to keep this close to you. You can take it out and play with it if you want to, but you're going to get a little black on your hands. I'm, I'm just giving you this kind of as a little illustration that you and I, we're going to go back into Romans chapter 12 right now, and we're going to learn what he means by bringing the presence of God. Okay? Now, the coals of fire, is, it's not just a coal. It signifies or represents the very presence of God. That when you're good to somebody... In the right ways. Now, you can be good to somebody in the wrong ways, and it's called manipulation. That's not right, is it? That's not what he's talking about. You can be good to somebody simply because you care for them. And you do it in the name of Jesus. You, you don't have to say you do it in the name of Jesus. But as a believer, you just do it that way, hoping they'll, they'll find who he is. If you do it the right way, it brings the presence of God into their lives. So if you've got a negative, challenging situation, learn to heat coals of fire. Now, let's see what he says right here. All right? Now, go to verse number 9. Go to the next one there. Verse number 9. It says this, let love be without hypocrisy. Now, what he does is he begins to list out these 26 things. It's a list. Now, these lists help me out a little bit. Little bit. Because I, I can deal with a list. I'm, I'm the kind of guy that likes a list. Anybody like that? I like a list. I like to see it line on line. Some, some, of, the, some of the Bible is, is so uh, ambiguous, it's, it's really hard to get into. But I like a list like this. I can deal with this to some degree. <laughs> now, verse number nine. He's listing out these things of how you and I can overcome evil with good and bring the presence of God into somebody's life. Okay? You got it? First thing he says is, let love be without hypocrisy. That's the kind of love everybody wants, isn't it? A love that's genuine, a love that's sincere, a love that's kind, a love that's concerned, a love that's compassionate, not a love that's manipulative or looking for something for itself. You know, it's like a parent. A parent can love a child for the child's sake, or a parent can love a child for their own sake because they get love reciprocated back to them. We've seen that kind of thing. That's not a good thing. Or any kind of relationship can be used like that. 
Somebody can it, it is something when you find out that somebody loved you for a reason. Oh, no. It's over now. Isn't it? The relationship just kind of crumbles down, doesn't it? So he says, us as believers, one of the ways we can overcome evil with good is to let love be true. Let love be without hypocrisy. Now, I don't have time to talk about it, but Jesus talks a lot about that hypocrisy thing, doesn't he? And probably everybody in this room, myself included, has played the hypocrite one time or another. What we want is our love to be genuine, our love to be pure, because if that happens, good overcomes evil. And the presence of God comes into the situation. The second thing he says right here, abhor what is evil. That's a disgust. We don't like anything that's evil. Whether it's in our life or somebody else's life, it doesn't mean we, you've heard the old saying, you, you love the sinner and hate the sin. That's a, a lot of truth in that. But we've learned to dislike what God dislikes, abhor what is evil. And of course, there's coming a generation, I think they're, they're upon us, a generation that calls good evil and evil good. So we're going to have to really work this out. Abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. Verse number 10, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. Isn't it just good when somebody's kind? You know, kindness is so odd in our world now. It's like when you go to Chick-fil-A, you know it. And that's sad. I mean, I love it that Chick-fil-A does it, but it's sad that they are, um, thank God for them. But isn't it sad that you don't get that at restaurant A or B or C all the time? It's like we know the difference. That's why we go and we will pay $10 for a chicken sandwich just because they're nice. But there's a reason they're not. You know why they're nice? They're built on a kingdom ethic. The whole business is built on a kingdom ethic. It, it isn't because it's good business practices. It's because Truett Cathy, the man who started that business, started it in the name of Jesus for the kingdom's sake and does a lot of good stuff because he is kind to the people. Not for just his own sake. He gets a great benefit out of it. But be kind to people. It'll stand out. Now, we do it as believers. It brings the presence of God into a situation. In honor, giving preference to one another. To honor somebody. I mean, it can do the, 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 the simplest of things. To honor people. You know, as, as a young boy, I was taught to honor my elders. I was taught to honor ladies. I was taught that you held the door for them when they walk in. Today, people say crazy, stupid stuff that that's sexist and all that kind of stuff. That's stupid. It's called honor. This world doesn't know much about it. That's why we got to help them. You know what I'm talking about? The world don't know much about honoring authority. Most of what you see going on right now has nothing to do with certain sections of our, of our society. It has to do with the fact that people don't want authority and don't want to honor authority. A lot of it has to do with that now. We'll work on the injustices and things that may be happening. But a lot of it has to do with people don't want to honor anybody but themselves. And a society who's built on that will fall, I promise you. It'll consume itself. So in honor, we, we learn to honor one another. You need to ask the Holy Spirit to help you do that more. You see what I'm talking about? 
not lagging in diligence. Let me give you a translation on that. Don't be lazy. Laziness stinks. I don't care if it's in your front yard. I don't care if it's in the way you keep your vehicle. I don't care if it's in the way you keep yourself. I don't care if it's in the way you do your job. Laziness is wrong. It is. It's a sin. It's a, it's a problem in our, our country right now. You want to hear what God has to say about laziness? Go read Proverbs. It seems like every other verse you read is about being lazy. About how a lazy man just turns on his bed like a hinge of a door. Stuff like that, you know. Go to the ant, you sluggard, you lazy person. Watch the ant, how they store up for themselves in winter. Keep all this stuff together so that when winter comes, they have something to eat. Don't be lazy. The Bible screams that to us all the time. And us as, as believers, one of the ways we can bring this Christian kingdom ethic into the world is that we're not lazy. We're not lazy about the things of God. We're not lazy about our own property. We're not lazy about what possessions we have. We're not lazy about our own person. We're not lazy about our own minds. We're not lazy people. Wouldn't that be good if it's said about us? Wouldn't it be awesome if employers were looking around to hire Christians because those people know how to work? Lord have mercy. We done got into something, ain't we? So instead of being lazy, you be fervent in spirit. That's mean have a passion. You know, we, we, we shouldn't have to come check your pulse to see if you're alive. You know what I'm talking about? Be fervent in spirit. Be grateful for what you got. Be passionate about what you got. Whatever you find your hand to do, do it with all of your might. I love that text. Be fervent in spirit. Next one is serve the Lord. And when we serve the Lord, it brings his presence. I don't even know how that, that works. But when we serve him and do it with the right heart and the right mind, his presence floods the place. Rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation. I got to pick up my pace here. I got 28 more to go. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Patient in tribulation. Continue steadfastly in prayer. It's important. You see? Good's got to overcome evil, but be continuing steadfastly in prayer. It doesn't just say pray. Continue in it. Be steadfast in it. Push forward. Keep doing it. Verse 13, distributing to the needs of the saints. That's important. Take care of one another. Given to hospitality. There's that nice thing again. See, nice is really important. I mean, it's, it's not this weak kind of nice. It's, it's, it's like for real nice. You, you know how you've been around people who've been like fake nice. and got that fake smile. Oh, we're so glad to see you. Oh, really? <laughs> that was just creepy. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> You've run into people like that before, right? But be given to hospitality. That means, hey, whatever I have, I'm willing to share it with you. Hospitality and generosity go right hand in hand together, don't they? Hospitality is open heart, open home. That's what it means. Given to hospitality. Then he gets into some pretty tough stuff. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Again, if you fight hate with hate, the hate grows. But if you fight hate with blessing, it gives God an opportunity to do something, to heap those coals of fire. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Hey, if there's a party for some reason going on, invite us. We'll, we'll get happy with you. 
Christians ought to be, we, we, we ought to know how to out-party everybody. You know that? Now, we party different, but you can't out-have a good time with us. We, we can have a good time. I think we ought, in fact, we really, and we, we have a good time and don't wake up with a hangover. Isn't that great? <laughs> or regrets. Or, or what did I do? We don't wake up with all them questions. We learn to party with those who are partying and celebrating. We've got to learn to celebrate more. You realize that, that in the Bible that God made his people celebrate at least three times, three weeks a year. At least three weeks a year. They had to get together. And when they came to Jerusalem for the feast, they threw the biggest party. I mean, you got Pharisees walking around juggling stuff and doing all kinds of tricks. I'm serious. You don't see the Pharisees like that, but they were in charge of the party. The Sadducees were in charge of the party. They, they were putting it on. When they come to Jerusalem, it was like going to a carnival to worship God. You never put the worship of God in that kind of context. Because when we worship God, we got to do this. Mm -mm. God said, when you come to Jerusalem, I want you to get the best meats. I want you to get the best stuff to drink. And I want you to come and I want you to celebrate with me. That's what those feasts were about. They were, they were not called fast. They were called feast. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? They were parties. There's a party going on right here. Never mind. A celebration. See, he, God was doing that way before cooling the game. Anyway. <laughs> Lord, help us. And weep with those who weep. When it's time to do that, we do that too, right? And you've had somebody sit with you like that maybe through a hard time. And if it was a believer that did it with you, something healing about that. Be of the same mind toward one another. Don't set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. We're almost done. Repay no one evil for evil. So you bring in the presence of God. Good overcoming evil now. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. Verse 18, if it is possible... As much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Isn't peace good? Isn't it good? Don't you want to live in peace? I mean, that's, you know, and I think our enemies know that without peace, there's no prosperity. You do realize that. So chaos always brings confusion and decay. I promise you. But if possible, I wonder why he said if it's possible. <laughs> You know who they are. As much as depends on you. So verse number 19. Beloved, don't avenge yourselves. So this is part of our mission now. This is part of us bringing those good works. Don't strike back. Don't avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. What kind of place do we give? We, for it is written, vengeance is mine. We give God his place of wrath and don't take it upon ourselves. That's important. God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Huh. We're bringing the presence of God. We're putting our God on display by good overcoming evil. The evil is painful. It hurts. It stinks. It's not good. I'm still bleeding because of that evil. But I choose to do good instead of retaliate. Does that make sense? 
And then he says, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. Not just your neighbor. What's that word right there? Not just your neighbor, not just your friend. What does it say? That's tough, isn't it? If he's thirsty, if your enemy's thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you, heap, you bring the presence of God upon his head. Now, does that mean they're going to get saved? No, not necessarily. But it will leave them without an excuse. See what I'm talking about? Now, we want it to lead to salvation. That's part of the reason we do it, so that they can know the love and kindness of God. But we've got to leave that outcome to Him and them. And we abide by our mission. And we're not overcome by the evil, but we overcome evil with good. So, beloved, heap it on. One way we can heap it on is as a community. It gets a little bit easier that way to heap it on. It just keeps coming. The food keeps coming. The, the love keeps coming. The calls keep coming. The cards keep coming. The concern keeps coming. The love, it heaps up, it heaps up, and it changes. Some of y'all are here right now because somebody heaped it up on you. You know what I'm talking about? But it takes a lot of faith now to live like this. Because in the natural, in the short run of things, it's like, well, if I just strike back, it just seems better right now. But in the long run, faith screams out and says, overcome it by doing good. We need God to strengthen our faith, don't we? We need him to strengthen our faith. Overcome evil with good every single day. So here, here's going to be my prayer right here. Let's get good at being good. Let's get good at loving people. Let's get good at kindness. Let's get good at honoring one another. Let's get good at serving one another. Let's get good at hoping, praying, ministering, blessing, you name it. Let's get good at being good. Because the hope and the destiny of those in our communities are tied to our good works. God set it up that way. You understand? The last image I want to leave you with is this. The cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ confirm to us that good overcomes evil. They did his worst. They spit out, they shot out the tongue, the scripture says, at him to pierce him. And they did their worst and they literally brought him down. They killed him. And the resurrection proved that when God gets through handling the situation, that the good that's invested will overcome the evil. That's what resurrection means. Got it? So Lord, increase our faith. Let's pray. Lord, we need help. We, we read a list like this, go through it and Lord, it does stir up a lot of conviction. But Jesus, you came to show us a whole new way. You came to help us with truth. This, this is just truth. This is the way your world is redeemed. By us doing good in the face of what's bad. And I'm reminded, Lord, that your word says for us not to grow weary while we do good. And that weirdness does jump on us because sometimes we feel like in a particular situation or maybe even nationally, what's, what's the use? And we tip out too soon.
So, Lord, increase our faith. Help us to get good at being good. To get good at being the forgiving kind of person. To be good at being a, a caring kind of person. Jesus, you proved. Evil will do what it does. But good overcomes evil. Help us to know it. And Lord, as we go forth from this place, there's going to be opportunities all over the place for us to do good. Some in big ways, and most of them are going to be little small things. But we're going to hand those small things to you and believe that they're making not just us better, but they're making our relationships better, making our communities better, and Lord, we get enough communities doing this to make our nation better. Because you promised that good wins, that love wins, that your kingdom wins, and that you won, Jesus. We bless you, Lord. We thank you for going to battle for us. We thank you for showing us how to fight. And Lord, I'm reminded about what you said in Matthew 28 over there. That you're going to be with us every step of the way as we go through all of this. As we fight the good fight of faith, you're going to be with us. We thank you, Lord. I bless your people. Help us to overcome evil with good. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.